three, two, one. Jared Gardner, welcome to this TechBond conversation. It's a pleasure to have you on. For everybody who does not know Jared, Jared is the global head of web optimization at Qualtrics. He takes care of 10 countries and eight different languages. If you don't know Qualtrics, it's a company from Utah and the SaaS business started in 2002 and was acquired by SAP in 2019 for 8 billion with the B US dollars. Jared started as head of SEO at the company and worked himself up all the way to global head of web optimization. Uh, he was employee 1500 at Qualtrics um, and now the company has 3500 and he's also a speaker at Digital Summit. Jared, good to have you on. Yeah, Kevin, thanks. Thanks. Glad to be on a little more formal, um, a, a formal conversation and getting some of our, our talks down in video and audio format as opposed to just uh, the casual Zoom. So thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Uh, for those who don't know the context, uh, Jared and I, we have an ongoing call. We speak on a regular basis because Jared is actually in, insanely smart. Uh, you're, I think to me, like you're one of the um like more hidden gems in the industry like you have a ton of experience we'll talk about that um and you just recently started to be a bit more outgoing with it and so the first question that i have about a topic that we have been talking about is what is the hourglass shaped marketer and why is that important yeah um i i say i think of it really kind of as a career progression um and I've, I've kind of refined this pitch because like I, uh, right now I have um, a lot of like people on my team who are in their first two, one to two years of marketing um, as well as uh, we're Qualtrics is located super close to BYU University and our founder is like a huge BYU fan and our, one of our founders was a, pr a professor. So like Qualtrics and BYU are like super tied together. And so because of that, like all BYU students want to work there. And so I'm constantly being like, hey, can we interview for you, you for classes and stuff? And then one of the first questions people ask is like, how do I get started in digital marketing? And then like, what does a career look like? So Rand, I think, I don't know if Rand invented it, but Rand Fishkin is, is really the person that I heard talk about the T-shaped marketer, right? And so the concept there is that you have one or two skills or challenges or skills or like areas of expertise that you're really good at. So Let's say, for example, you know, for, for this audience, organic search is like your bread and butter, like you're a professional SEO. That's what you're really good at. If you're really good at that, you're probably going to be adjacent to some other channels. So if you're high, you're really high here, if you go one step down here, like analytics is probably next. And then on the other side, maybe it's content marketing or like content development on the other side. And then you take a step out and you're like, well, I kind of know paid search because I'm in the SERPs. And so there's this like T shape of, expertise so as opposed to like there are a lot of people who are marketing generalists where they're kind of this deep in 10 different subjects like rand talks about being the expert in one subject and knowing a few things about the things around it and i actually like really grasp onto that and early in my career and dove super deep into organic search because of that of like i want to know everything about it i want to be able to do all aspects of organic search um and then kind of where I've put my spin on it is that I feel like I hit a career ceiling um, at, at doing organic search. So like, for example, like director of SEO at in-house companies and agencies is like fairly common. But like, Kevin, you're in a super rare role where like, I don't know very many VP of SEO. Um, like I could, I literally only know two and there's more out there, but it's just not, there's not very many companies that have an SEO challenge so big that it requires the size department and the size experience of, of a vice president. And so I think, you know, I like selfishly, I want to get to like a VP level at some point in my career. And so I see the kind of career progression goes from like, you're a generalist, you got to figure out digital marketing, and then you get really good at like one, one or two things. And so that's the T-shaped as you come up. And then eventually you hit a point where you either hit a career ceiling or you've been doing good in one one area and your job or the opportunities start to open up that you actually start to go like this as you progress higher in your career. Um, and so I'd say like at Qualtrics, that's kind of what's happened to me. I came in to do organic search um, and there was a need for analytics. And I was like, hey, you know, let's let's implement Google Analytics 360. Let's get some enterprise analytics and be able to trust our data. And I was like, OK, now Jared owns our analytics. 
Um, the next thing was like our editorial calendar needed, needed like a process and a system. And it was like, okay, Jared owns content now. And this was, you know, back when marketing was lowest 30 people. We're now up to like 125 people in our marketing department. And so it's a lot of like, you know, set up a program, hand off to somebody else, set up a program, hand off to somebody else. Um, and eventually like analytics led to tag manager, tag manager led to like general website ownership. Cause you're we working with the dev team. And like, as I've gotten more and more senior, the, my responsibilities have broadened as well as the team. Right. And so now I'm working on like a lot of premium user acquisition and growth, some in product loops, things like that, where it was close to what I was doing. And there was more or less a need, like it's very opportunistic, right? If, if there's an expert of analytics in your company, like you're probably not going to be the analytics guy, but if there's a void and you know a bit about it, you can probably jump in and make an impact right away. And so it's a little bit of like being op opportunistic about, finding those opportunities, like having those opportunities in your company arise and you jumping on them. But, and then there's another side, which I'm like <clears throat> pretty passionate about is making sure you're actively trying to learn the things next to you. Um, you know, so like there's things that like, I know I need to learn like JavaScript. I need to be better at it a little bit for SEO, but actually more for like advanced tag man management and things like that to make sure that we can track in the right ways. And so being at like going out and proactively learning JavaScript because like one day I'm going to need this and one day there's going to be an opportunity for me to jump on it. Like that's kind of what I love um, about that whole concept is like being prepared for when the opportunity arises to, to broaden your scope basically. Um, so I'd be curious, like how did, how have you seen that? Like obviously you went from a like SEO lead at Atlassian where there was a lot of, you had a, that's a big SEO program, a lot of products, a lot of countries, things like that, to now doing more of a SEO and content and getting those both together. Like, how have you seen that kind of progression? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, the first thing that comes to mind is that it's a choice, right? It's a bit, it can be difficult to detach yourself from the tactical and go more into the strategic. And I miss that sometimes. I know a couple of people who are in a, in a more strategic role. I think you are uh, in a similar space right now where you more often hand things off than doing them yourselves. And sometimes, or a lot of times, actually, you hand off the, the fun tasks as well. Yeah. Uh, and you should predominantly hand off the fun tasks is what I learned. You know, you should take on the boring ones and, and pass the fun ones off. Um, so I think... Uh, first of all, there is a choice, and second of all, there's an opportunity as well, right? I was very lucky to be granted that opportunity to take on such a role. Um, but then, um, as you mentioned, I think there is also a huge aspect of learning how to think like a manager and how to um, act on that level and a good understanding of the problems that come up at this level. So it's not enough anymore to just think about traffic or conversions, right? You really have to think about revenue, uh, P&L statements, uh, hiring, firing, like that's a huge one as well. So there's a whole set of new challenges. And the way that I learned to progress from role to role is by thinking about what's the biggest problems and challenges of the next higher role are and then just starting to adopt them and the more you take those over the yeah. easier it is to promote you right so speaking of yeah, that yeah, yeah. i'm like specifically curious about you and the conversation that you had when you identified analytics as a gap or something that you proactively take on took on what did the conversation with your manager or a boss then look like about you owning that officially yeah. Um, my boss has always been, and I, you know, one of the reasons I came to Qualtrics and I've stayed at Qualtrics for about two and a half years that I've been there, it, he's always been super supportive of, um, like more or less believing in people and giving them the benefit of the doubt that they're smart and they'll figure it out. So like he do he knew that like I wasn't a, a, the best analytics person. Like he probably, he wouldn't have hired me to do that job. But he is like, you know, he's close enough. He knows everything else going around. He kind of understands the needs of the business. Uh, so he could probably figure it out. And so, like, he's always been pretty supportive. And then especially, like, I find that most bosses will let you do things if you say you want to do them, not necessarily, like, because he, he or she needs you to do them, right? So, like, there's, one, there's certain things where I'm, I, you know, go to people on my team and I'm like, I need you to own this. You don't know how. I need you to figure it out. And then there's other things on my team that like, maybe there's not a need for it, but there's a desire from that team member of them. Like, you know, for example, like what our SEO lead, 
wants to know more about Google Tag Manager. I don't need him to do Google Tag Manager at our company, and nor would I like probably prefer him for at least for a year or two. But he's like, I see that as an opportunity. So like, can, is there a few things I can do? And like, yeah, we're you know we're setting up this this secondary uh, different domain that we need to do analytics from scratch. It's a fairly simple domain that serves a different purpose than like our main enterprise site. And so like, why don't you just own that end to end? You know, do your own research, figure out how to do things. Come ask me when you get stuck, and I'm like happy to like QA it at the end. But like, I could I could do it in a lot less time. But he wants to do it. It's a learning opportunity, and it's like also something I don't have to do. So I've always tried to be really clear with my managers about like this is what I want to be doing, and I'm gonna like proactively look for opportunities to go do that thing. Um, and when I when I don't, I've always felt like I was in a career rut. Like I, I like to know like what my six month step is and basically i you going back to like a statement you said right before you asked that question you said it makes it really easy to get promoted when you're kind of already doing the next level um and at both of my last two companies which i've like prior to this i was at an agency and i had three different roles there in about two and a half years um and they believe that i've seen i and i think it's true in most companies especially successful ones that you promote people when they've already demonstrated the skills of the next level, not because you believe they can get to the next level. Like you, if you kind of force your, your company's hand or your boss's hand of this, like I'm already like you ask them, what is, you know, you're a junior manager. What's a senior manager look like? And they're like, well, it looks like this, this, and this. And you're like, okay, great. Like in six months, I'm going to be doing those things. And you're going to have no choice, but to say like, you're, you're performing at this level. I have to promote you. Um, so like I got, that was kind of a, a long roundabout answer, but it, it really is like supporting people when they, when they want to learn and telling your boss when you want to do things just for, just for your own education and then making sure that you're demonstrating the next level skills before somebody even thinks about like, Oh, I don't know if they're ready for promotion. They're not doing this thing and this thing. And you're just like, I, here, I, I wrote I, like I wrote it down on paper. Here's the ten examples of me doing the things that you said are needed for the next level. That's absolute gold, uh, and I wholeheartedly agree with you. Um, you you know, at, at the same time, being on the other side now, it's now the challenge becomes <laughs> to make that crystal clear for your direct reports, right? Because they're going to come around and be like, "So, what do I have to do to get there?" And now it's on you to make that achievable for them. Right. I think that's kind of the, the other challenge. And in light of that, I'm very curious now that you manage so many people, how was that transition and like describe what it's like? Yeah, I actually, uh, my team of direct reports is fairly small at Qualtrics. And then I have, I kind of matrix out into like a full engineering team, uh, that runs the front end development for our website. And then we're a, kind of a global center of excellence, or at least that's what we're trying to set up. And so there's a lot of regional teams that rely on us. And so I have a lot, I actually don't have a ton of people that I kind of am their people manager. I have a lot of people that is more of an influence. So um, when I was in an agency, though, I went from SEO strategist to SEO manager, and we had seven SEOs. Um, and so that was like a, a huge chain. Um, and I think there's like, there's a big challenge. There's two challenges with managing people. One, it's like making them better and like making them better at what they do. And that's always like, so basically teaching, teaching the skills that I have to them. That's a, something that actually comes pretty easy to me of like, Oh, how do I do this? Oh, you know, jump on this zoom. I'll, I'll show you like, you just click here, you do this, like watch out for this, watch out for that kind of the, the skills, the skills development. And then there's like a whole nother side that I'd say Eve, I'm, really focusing a lot of energy on it right now because it's a weakness of mine is like developing developing the soft skills so like providing direct feedback of like hey in that meeting you asked the question this way and it really you know angered the person felt attacked if you try approaching it from this way that person won't feel attacked and that conversation will be easier as well as like communicating you know, if you're asking somebody senior for something like not writing a novel saying like, I want to do this because of this, yes or no. And like really getting clear communication. So like the soft skills development is something that I haven't really ever had to do until you know, really like the last six months of, of my, of my career. And that's something that 
it's been a challenge to me, but also as I see team, my team members grow in that way, like it's super rewarding to me as well. But like, and I, it will go into some of the stuff where we, I know we want to talk about in this conversation about like executing at the enterprise level. Like so much of that is working with people and, and getting around roadblocks and just kind of managing through all that. And so you got to help your people do it too, so that you're not always having to be involved. Like you, things don't have to get escalated to you. They can just like work with other stakeholders and get, and get those things done. Yeah, that's a really good point. And we're going to jump into that um, question of how to get things done in the enterprise in, in a minute. There are, there are just two questions that I want to handle before. Um, and so I see this kind of pattern emerge in our conversation of learning and teaching, uh, learning for yourself, teaching others once you learn something. And it makes me wonder, do you use a system or a method or framework or concept to teaching people skills seems to come very natural and easy to you. And so I was wondering, like, is there, is there a one, two, three step process that, um, you can share about how you teach other people's skills that you mastered? Uh, I wouldn't say like I have an education framework or a teaching framework. I would say like I anchor really hard on being a doer. Um, and so like going back to like large companies, like you, in large companies, you can have a tendency to have a lot of strategy and meeting people and like people who set meetings and ask you to do things and, uh, and not enough people who can go press buttons. Like who they're like, okay, you need that page built. Great. Like, okay, that my team's going to do that now. And so like, I, uh, I really encourage people being in the weeds, even at like any level. Like you should be able, if you're in charge of a program, you should be able to do everything in that program. Like, and I understand that like people inherit programs that like maybe isn't their skill area of expertise, but you should like learn the language, be able to communicate. Like, for example, if you're managing developers, you should be able to have technical conversations with them. And on a level, obviously you don't need to be a software engineer, but you should be able to be like, oh, actually, what does that mean? And they explain it to you. And you're like, oh, that's kind of like this other thing that we've talked about. And make sure that you're learning from them and on their level so that you can have those conversations. And so like, I like to frame whenever I'm teaching something of like, there is like, there's nobody else to do this. You need to learn this. You need to be an expert at this thing. Like if you're going to do it, you got to know how to do all of it. Not just like do the easy stuff, then call me when you need something more difficult done. Um, and because of that, I... I really encourage my team to like not ask me first, like go try to figure it out. Cause like most of the things that any of the digital marketers want and have learned. And I think it's even more so like anybody who did has done SEO full time knows like there's no training course for this. Like it's a lot of problem solving, figuring it out. And that's one of the things I love of working with ex SEOs is they don't trust anything and they, have to fit, learn everything from themselves, right? There's no Google rep to call. You're like, oh, I'll just ask my rep why that doesn't work. No, like you go figure it out. You're, you're on your own here. Um, and so I try to distill that, even like people on my team who aren't doing SEO and maybe do have, you know, a conversion rate optimization tool. Like there's a customer success manager. You can go ask that question. It's like, no, just go, go figure it out. Like learn why so that next time you have a problem, you know why. And so it's like root cause analysis and trying not to rely on anybody else for your education. Um, so I would say those are the two like fundamentals that I really try to try to push. Um, and that's not really in a framework. That's just kind of like constant reminders. Yeah. The practical aspect is just so important and it is something like SEO. And I have a feeling that the whole world is moving more towards practicality, right? Even after college, the first question usually asked is less like, you know, what's your GPA or what's your, uh, whatever, like, how are your grades? It's much more like what internships have you done or where have you worked before? So I think, but yeah, you know, coming back to SEO and to, to uh, online marketing, it's just such a fast moving discipline that missing practical experiences, uh, you know, it's like a, it's a, it's a, it's a death sentence almost. Yeah. And I think it's never too late to get the practical experience too. Like, I see like senior people come in to, to roles where they're now in charge of something that they've never done on a practical level. And they just rely on their team. They're like, I don't know. I'll have to ask the person on my team. I'll have to ask it's like, it's never too late. No matter how senior you are, like you should theoretically, like I want my boss to be the smartest person at whatever they're, they're in charge of. I want them to know how the, like, I want them to know how the sausage is made. Like if they're in charge of making the sausage, 
they don't have to go make the sausage, but they could go make the sausage. That's what I want in my leader. And so I try to like, I try to encourage everybody around me to be the same way. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and it, it all comes back to, to learning and also humbleness. We talked about soft skills before, and I think that humbleness is one of the biggest enablers of learning, at least to me it is, because I learned the hard way that this lesson is important, right? Like I, there were situations where I was like, okay, I, I'm at this level or I have this understanding um, and now I own X and you know I don't need to go back there. And then I learned that that was wrong, right? So, uh, you know, ego is the enemy here, uh, similar to the title of a really good book that I can recommend. But, you know, speaking of soft skills and speaking of ego and humbleness, you mentioned that developing soft skills is really hard and I found myself in the same situation especially because uh, one of the challenges that I often face is that to me, uh, it's hard to give hard feedback, right? Like I'm a, uh, I, I, I tend to shy away from these difficult conversations where yeah. you really, you know, point something hard out. And so I'm also curious, like, how do you, you mentioned that it was a weakness. How do you approach that weakness, right? Like you're, you're like a super smart, high performer, um, you know, like you're used to overcome weaknesses and, and face them head on. So this is a great example that I would love to hear more about where like, how, what's your approach? Like, how do you do it? Yeah, that's a, that's a, like, I think going back to like, it's been a focus of mine for the last few months because it's a weakness. Like, I, I don't think I've figured it out yet. Um, I've, uh, we have like a leadership development thing at Qualtrics that it's, it's a little corporate and cheesy. Like we, it, it probably goes a little over the top, but one of the, it kind of is distilled down into like three things. It's like be direct, care about your people and like help them go further. I'm probably missing one of those. So Dave, if you're watching this, don't get mad at me. Um, <laughs> uh, but one of the things is like direct feedback. Um, and I find myself, like to your point of like, it's uncomfortable. I hate it. I hate, I'm very anti-confrontational. I really, really hate it. And so, um, one of the tips there is like give feedback in the moment. And then in the moment, the feedback feels less personal. And I feel the same way. Like if I'm on a call with my boss and some, another team and you know, now it's zoom. So we're like, we're all remote. And immediately after the call, he's like, Hey, you know, good job. Like, I think we won on these three points. Maybe you shouldn't have done that point. And I'm like, thanks for the feedback. That's great. But if it's a week later and he brings that up in a one-to-one, -one, then I'm like, you've been stewing on this the whole time. Like this is the, like, I kind of overreact to it. And I'm, so I'm thinking about me like on, on the receiving end of feedback um, and those hard conversations is like, I really appreciate having the feedback right away. Like instead of like, oh, you know, I've seen a trend of like, this time, this time, this time, this time, this time that you did this. And I'm like, I did it five times. And you didn't tell me to stop. Like, why didn't you tell me right away? Um, and so because of like, at least that's how I feel. I try to be the same way to my team of, of really not try to let things brew. And also it's really easy. Like two days later, just like, yeah, you know, it wasn't that big of a deal. We can let that go. I'm not going to bring it up. And then it recurs and it recurs and it recurs. And now all of a sudden you're, you're in that situation of like, yeah, so there's been like these this time, this time, and this time you did this. I really wish you wouldn't do that. And so in the moment, feedback is kind of the best thing that I have. And it's uncomfortable. Like it sucks. Like you, it's one of those things like, like firing somebody. You're like, I have to do this and I know it's going to suck. And the only thing I can do is like say what I need to say and move on. But, you know, obviously try to do it in a way that's not personally attacking. Um, so I, I, I don't feel like that's groundbreaking leadership advice, but that is the areas that I've found important. Well, I think it goes further than it looks from the outside. Uh, we at G2, we follow this methodology of conscious leadership. And one of the pillars of conscious leadership is candor, which again, can be very difficult. Um, but another one is this idea of a hundred percent uh, responsibility. And it, it aims at realizing that everybody shares a hundred percent or everybody actually has a hundred percent, right? It's not, if you're a math geek, then, you know, like <laughs> don't listen for a second, <laughs> hold your ears, but the, you know, yeah, it's, don't at me on this. <laughs> <laughs> don't at me, but yeah, it's the whole idea of that, you know, basically everybody has a responsibility in things and, and your responsibility is to, to give people kind of feedback, right? There's also this methodology that I learned about 
pointing out the situation, what exactly the person did and what the consequence of that is, right? So the framework or the, the template there would be, hey, in situation X, you did Y, and as a result of that, Z, right? So it yeah. could be something like, hey, in situation X, you um, tried to sell too aggressively, um, and because of that, I um, fear that we might lose the deal, something in those regards, right? So it makes it very, yeah. very approachable than just saying you spoke too loud or, you you know, like you said too much. Like that's yeah. it's hard to, to take action on. So I think... That's something that I learned, but I'm the same kind of work in progress here. And I also have a feeling that nobody ever really like masters this, right? I think the, the some of the best managers yeah. that, that I met or was uh, allowed to work for were always working on themselves and always working on, on some part of that, right? It's also, it's also like a lot of balls to juggle. Like you have the soft skill aspect, you have the hard skill aspect, you have performance and all these kind of things. And bringing all of that together is a major challenge. Yeah, and I think like to your point of saying like X to Y to Z and like being very clear about where you're coming from, I think that clarity is super valuable. I've had managers who give vague feedback have like, uh, you know, are you sure you want to do that? Like that is like when I say I'm going to then do something and it might even boss does it now and I'm like, then I'll follow up like, what did you mean by I'm not sure I'm going to do that? And like, I'm like, you know, instead of saying, are you, sh are you sure you're going to do that? Be hey, I don't know if right now is the right time because of this, right? Or it's like, did you think of this thing, right? And because sometimes like when they say that, and I'm like, that's there's an endless combination of things that they could be referring to that I don't know if I've thought of versus like, hey, maybe, you know, maybe with the current state of the pandemic, we shouldn't say, we shouldn't use those words on a, on a headline. I'd be like, yeah, you know, that's probably, that's good. That's a good idea versus like, is that the headline you're going to go with, you know? And so like being very direct and, and very clear about it, I think also can remove the personal attacking bit of it as well. Um, Cause it, I can be like, I've in even in personal relationships, I've had feedback that like I can, when I question, I can sound condescending. And so like I'm asking a legitimate question and they're like, you made me feel stupid when you asked that question. And so now I like try to overcompensate a little bit by saying like, I'm asking this question because of this direct point, not because I question your intelligence, for example. That's very good advice. Really, really good advice. Uh, and yeah, specificity is really hard sometimes, right? Like being very specific and explicit. Um, I think that's, that's super valuable. So we also talked about getting things done in the enterprise. I think we've, we've covered a good chunk of, you know, the career progression from, um, an individual contributor to a manager or even just like career progressions in general, learning, hard skills, soft skills. But the enterprise is a specific environment that's somewhat different from the agency world, for example, or from the SMB world. So you worked on the agency side before going in-house and I would love to approach the conversation from exactly that angle. What is something that you wish you had known before going in-house about that type of environment and about being successful in the enterprise? Yeah, um, so I, I, I very purposely left the agency world because I was kind of sick of inaction. And so I was sick of making, you know, here's, here's our growth plan for 2020 SEO. We're gonna do this program, we're gonna do this program, we're gonna do this program, you know, we're gonna make this section of content we're going to go back through and optimize all title tags for click through, right? You know, like the, the tactical things and some of these things are like large chunks. Some of these things are like, you know, this is an ongoing thing. This is like, you know, pulling weeds. We want to make sure we stay on this versus like, we're going to go build a new content hub experience or whatever it is. Um, and we put in, especially on the agency side, you kind of over polish that deck and like really, you know, you're presenting it, you fly to another city, you present it, like, here's the plan. You get some feedback. Everybody's excited. And then like 11 months later, as you're like getting ready to renew the contract, you're like, you've done 10% of that plan. Um, and I just got so sick of doing of that. Um, and it's because you deliver things and they don't, it's out of your hands. You know, you deliver an idea, a strategy, and that's out of your hands. Um, and so one of the like tip, tip for any agency people watching this is make sure that like everything's actionable and that you've carried 
the deliverable or the whatever it, whatever project you're working on as far to the finish line as possible. And your job as an agency is to make your your in-house contacts life easier. That's it. That's a, that's your job, right? And so if it's a you know a tech, if you go to like a technical audit, like I've seen bad technical audits, not really in-house, but like I've seen other agencies' technical audits that we've been like pitching against, for example, back in the agency days. And it's, you know, they come through and say, like, there's a lot of bat, there's a lot of 302s on your site. And you're like, okay, where, like, where, what do I fix them? Where should they go? Um, and so kind of got to the point where we'd call it like the actionable technical audit of like, make sure, like, if you're going to tell me about something, there better be a next step. If not, don't waste my time with it. Um, and so like making sure you're delivering, like change, change this to this. And I think that's how I've developed like a really good relationship with the engineering team and Qualtrics and now eventually manage their priorities is like being very, trying to, trying to carry the ticket or the request of the user story as far as I can on my own. So it don't create a ticket. that's like title tag is missing, but okay. What's the engineer going to do about that? Um, say the title tag is missing. You can change it in this setting of, uh, you know, here and, Here's the title tag I want you to do for this pages. Oh, and by the way, let's do this in bulk. So I created an export of URL, the title tag, so you can bulk import all these, you know, whatever it is. And that's like, that's just one example, but make sure that you're making their jobs easy. Like don't, like, don't send a list of 404 errors, send a list of 404 errors, pages they were found on, what they should update the link to, and where you should 301 that page that's 404, you know? So you did three different things that are going to solve the issue. Not like your job isn't to find issues. Your job is to fix issues or to at least help your like in-house uh, in-house team. And so whether that's your agency working with an in-house SEO contact or a, a digital marketing generalist, or you're an in-house SEO working with an engineering team, like take things as far as you possibly can and be like, okay, look, I did everything, but the copy and paste for you. Now you can knock this out really quick. Um, and so like that, that's kind of one of my tips that I learned both in-house and agency is like, try to, try to take as much ownership for the project as you can, especially on the agency side. You don't, you don't get to pick your contacts. Some contacts action things really easily. Some contacts will just sit on recommendations and, and things because they're too lazy to make a ticket or they don't know how, or they, they just don't know the right person to go talk to or, you know, or they're busy, you know, you know, there's a lot of different reasons why, but if you make it real easy and communicate like, Hey, I got, I did everything. All you got to do is copy and paste this into Jira and you're done. Preach, so, Jared, but... preach. <laughs> Love this. This is such good advice uh, for, as you said, like for the agency world, but also for the in-house world and career in general, like take things as close to the finish line as you possibly can. Uh, and I think that there is also often the notion out there of the grass is always greener on the other side. I earned my chops on the agency side and then I couldn't wait to get in the house. And then I always, or I had, I had kind of recurring spurs or, um, you know, flashes where I was like, oh man, I, I wonder what the agency side would look like right now. But it's so true. The best people that I have worked with on the agency side as an in-house marketer were those who just, who made it so simple for me to just create a ticket, forward a ticket, create the ticket themselves and make it super simple for the engineer to actually just do something instead of having to invent a solution for a certain right. aspect. But I also think that on the agency versus in-house side, there are different things you can learn because on the in-house side, you can usually go very deep into one product, sometimes several product, at least one site. On the agency side, you have the benefit of being exposed to many different businesses. Can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah, um, I actually, so one, if you're on my team and listening to this, don't leave. But I recommend most people start in an agency. Um, and the reason is you get a lot of reps. You get a lot of reps. So your point, like you can go deep on one product, one site in-house. Um, you And the agency side, you get to work across different verticals. And you get to see, you know, we were, I, Red Door Interactive was where I came. They're based out of San Diego with a, office, a couple offices around the world and or around the country and a lot of remote employees. And so a lot of like we were focusing mostly on companies with like $50 million of revenue or more. So like not SMBs, like enterprise, not a couple Fortune 500s, but not all of them were huge. Um, and so 
I got to see just a lot of different problems, like from a technical SEO side, right? You can, you only learn how to fix JavaScript indexing issues, like from React, if you work on a JavaScript site with the React, you know what I mean? You only get to work on solve hreflang issues if you have the opportunity to work on a, an hreflang implementation or audit it. And so you, there's a lot of things that I got to learn of like, oh, for this client, you know, for this client, I did that. For this client, I did this. For this client, I did this. And then, like, when I went in-house, I, I was like, oh, I, like, I, we were talking about it earlier. I'm, one of the current projects we're working on, we're in the beginning stages, and we'll be working on it a lot more next quarter, is launching a site in Korea for the first time. Like, I actually, I did that in-house with ASICs, and now I know what SEO for neighbor is like. It's terrible. Don't do it. I, if you're good at SEO for neighbor, like, reach out because I need somebody. But it's like neighbor is like a pay to play space. And so I knew now I know this because I got to do it for ASICs is like, I can say, I can set the expectations with our business partners, you know, the head of sales for that country, the GM for Korea, for Qualtrics that like, you're going to need media spend. If you want to get people to your site, like if you want to do demand generation, like SEO is not going to be your play. Like it's not going to be free. You need, you know, you need working media dollars to get people to your site because that's the world that you live in. Like there's just not that many organic results in neighbor. At least there wasn't when I worked on it three years ago. So I, I'll, I'll be freshening up on it here pretty soon. Um, but that kind of solved like designing pro a lot of different programs quickly and the good, like on the agency side, since you're not responsible for the project management and the babysitter after you hand off a solution design, you're like, go build this. It's going to take you six months. Let me know when you're done. Flip side of that is in-house. You got to, you're going to work on the same project for six months instead of one project, designing a project for a week and moving on to the next thing. So I like that. I liked that I came from an agency world, but when I was, I don't know, five years in about, a little over that when I finally jumped in house, like I couldn't get out fast enough because I want it. It's one thing to design a system. It's another thing to see a system up live working, improving user experiences, improving traffic, creating revenue, all of those fun things. Uh, like that's just so much more rewarding to me. So I'm, I'm like willing to work on one project for three months as opposed to just doing the easy part or maybe not the easy part, but the fun part up front of like designing, like this is the problem. How are we going to fix it? Yeah. We touched upon the, notion of bringing things over the finish line, making it super simple to implement things. But now we're talking so much more about the strategic perspective. And you mentioned some project management aspects. You mentioned the importance of revenue and speaking dollars, just making the business case yep. for things. And you recently published a tweet that said a large part of being successful at a large company is basically just project management. Can you go from point A to point B and anticipate the roadblocks before you hit them? And so that I think is a great segue into getting things done in the enterprise world. And so what is the key to get things done in the enterprise world? Yeah, this is a very timely topic. It's top of mind. So uh, next week I have an article called uh, Enterprise Ex SEO Don't Outsmart, Ex Out-Execute, publishing on conversionxl.com. Um, and it that is it's really just going into that. Um, and so I kind of like... I focus on a couple areas there. Like one is building systems that repeat and I kind of, kind of go at scale at scale, right? So, um, working with your engineering team to build templates that marketers can use a hundred times over again, as opposed to making a hundred tickets for your engineers. Um, so kind of like that, a page templates a really easy way to, to talk about that. Another way to think about like creating scale to, free up your engineers to build things that you can't and let the SEO team and the marketers build things that they can is like unblocking technical SEO tasks. So like one of the cool things, and it, I go way more in depth in, um, in this article, but we created like an admin panel that allows the SEOs to go upload redirects to our servers where it actually APIs out of a Google sheet. So we modify a Google sheet, click refresh, it pulls it in, it syncs it, it checks for errors, and you and it publishes it into a section of our HT access file. And so if you can imagine, like we have 10,000 pages on our site, you I can only imagine what G2 has, but like a lot of redirects pop up, man. A lot of redirects pop up. And like, do you know what's not fun for an engineer? 
like putting it in a, a redirect line like that is not exciting work and they're going to drag their feet and they're going to complain about it and they're going to hate you if once a week they have to put in your redirects um plus you like you have sprint cycles so you know our sprint cycles are a week like if i need redirects put in i gotta wait at least a week um you know if like now that i manage the sprint queue it's a little different i can move things around but like the average person does average seo doesn't do that and so like if you find a bad error like somebody broke a page you don't want to wait a week for that to fix like i want to be able to jump in and do it right now or like for example our ceo was on national television and said like go to qualtrics backslash this vanity url that didn't exist and like i was watching i was watching his tv like i was watching him on tv because it was a, it was a big like response that we had rolling out a bunch of free uh, software solutions to help companies through COVID, and so it was like you know go to backslash here to help, and you know I'm literally watching him on TV adding redirects and every variation of this like here to help with spaces without spaces things like that to try to like catch people as they came in, and that was like enabled because we made a system that did that, and so like our AC access files the same or our robots.txt files the same way our hflang sitemaps are the same way. And so we had them, you know, it, they, it was a better part of a week for that person, but they, that engineer built that two years ago and has never had to touch it again. And like I've, we update our HR flying sitemaps once a week. And so, you know, we say we saved a hundred tickets by him investing in that one time and our results are better because we're able to move faster. So that's kind of like one of the areas is like build systems that enable people to scale and move faster. Um, and then the other one is like more, more high, a little more high level is being the project manager and like taking ownership. And so this goes back to like not being afraid to get in the weeds. Like when you, you're going to ultimately need something from another team, whether it's an engineering team, a creative team, a content writing team or like a product marketing team, if you need them to like work on positioning, take it as far as you can. So like, for example, one of like a hard things because this team is really busy is like getting content out of like our product marketing teams, like product content. So like we're talking new product tier one product page and like getting, they're super busy because they're like helping sales. They're helping customer success. They're helping like develop new products. Like they have very busy jobs and like maybe copywriting isn't the easiest thing for them. So it's not going to be like, super quick they can't just like knock it out and so making it as easy as possible by one setting expectation of like this is what i need you to do this is why we're doing it this is when i need you to do it typical project management stuff and then the next thing is like having a a really prepared a brief that's prepared really well for them so it's like a structured google doc that's like this is your headline and it's a table like headline goes here intro copy goes here product shot one goes here and kind of like creating that copy doc template for them and then also like a little bit of a brief at top like this page is going to live here its purpose is this its audience is this here's the common keywords here are three examples of other SaaS companies and i'm in the SaaS companies uh, the SaaS world so i'm going to use a lot of SaaS examples but like here are three other product feature pages that i really like that you can use for inspiration and so once again like we took it as far as we could as opposed to just emailing them and saying like hey i need copy for a new page and they're, then they're just like how much copy what kind of copy? What's the positioning? Is this salesy? Is this top of the funnel? Is this informational? Like what kind of content am I creating here? So taking it as far as you can and doing that every step along the way. Um, and kind of like, you know, you, so you did that with product marketing. Now you do that with your copywriters. Now you do that with your creatives. Now you do that with your, uh, developers. And all of a sudden, like you reduced a lot of work for them. And therefore one, you develop good relationships. Cause like, Oh, when, when Jared sends me projects, they're ready to go. I don't have to ask a lot of questions. I just jump in. I can focus, move on to the next thing. And so like doing is like really taking ownership of like, this is going to get done. I'm going to see this getting done. I'm going to badger somebody if they're not doing their part. And then it's like your typical project management. And like, depending on your company, like some companies don't believe in project managers. And so that means everybody's kind of a project manager. And I find like the projects that fail is when you know somebody puts together a Google Doc, says like this is what I want to build, meets with us in a meeting, and we're like, okay, great, like go build it. Like nobody's stopping you. Like, well, I'm not going to do it for you, but nobody's stopping you. Let me know when you've done everything that you need for me to do my part. Let me know. And then like six months goes by, and it's they're still stuck on phase one because they didn't make phase one as easy as possible for the 
product marketing team or whichever team needs to go first. True, true. You also mentioned the systems that you put in place and how important it is to have good systems to scale SEO or just marketing in general. And my story is that good systems also need some sort of buy-in into specifically SEO, right? I think in the in the search engine marketing, SEM, SEA, PPC world, whatever you want to call it, it is much easier because you can pretty well predict how much you get back for the dollars you invest. SEO, much more of a black box, takes much more time, etc. We all know the pains. So how do you evangelize SEO in-house? Yeah, man, that's a... That's one of those that I get asked that question a lot. And I was lucky that I didn't really have to at Qualtrics. I mean, I had to help agency. When I was in the agency, I had to help other companies do it. So like, I, I can talk about some of those experience. But at Qualtrics, like, we were fairly small. My boss, before he hired me, had, had laid the groundwork for like SEO is important. Also, when I was there, like, he'd kind of known enough about SEO to keep the lights on basically keep the lights on more or less. And so like SEO is already doing millions of dollars a quarter in like revenue generation. And so like the channel was there. And so when there, when it was time to like, Hey, let's pour some fuel on the fire. Let's get somebody in house working on this all the time that it was really easy. And I think we were small enough that like everybody was off running. We were, you know, so like for example, for context, Qualtrics has historically grown at 40% year over year revenue headcount, all of all your top level metrics. And so like everybody's moving so fast that it's been, there hasn't been a lot of friction. It's like, you do your thing, I'm gonna do my thing. Like as long as we're all winning, like let's keep it going. And I think getting in, um, and this goes actually to a tip for both careers and program building. Like if you get hired in a new job, you need to prove your impact in three months or the rest of your time at that company is gonna be tenuous. Like you need to pick one project that you think you can take from beginning to end in three months and show a business impact because then people will trust you and then people will sign up for the next project that you want to do. Um, and so that's both career advice and program advice. Cause like if, you know, if you're the first in-house SEO one, you want, you know, you want to be well-respected as a professional, but two, you are the program. Like you are the face of the program. You're the only SEO thing there. Like if you're gone, the SEO has gone. And so making sure, and that, and this is true across whatever your program is, but making sure that you can show impact within like the first three months of like, pick one project. It's got, don't go too big. Like you don't want to do a project that's going to take nine months to do, but don't like, don't just sit around like, oh yeah, I'm just, you know, talking to people, having meetings with everybody, trying to get the lay of the land. Like, no, like go, go. Especially if you're in a growth company, like go, you're like, people aren't going to wait for you. You need to like get in there and get stuff done. Um, so I think that's, that's kind of one of my tips is like making to, so you don't have to evangelize it is get in there and show quick wins, you know, quick wins don't always happen or you inherit, you inherit a culture that was built by somebody else that isn't so great. And so, um, I think it's really trying to try to tie it to business impact and then, um, trying to make it easy for other people that you need help from. Um, cause if they can, if they feel like they can create business impact by helping SEO, and you made it easy for them to help SEO, like it's going to be pretty easy to have people on your side. Um, so provide utility to other teams and prove impact. That's going to hopefully, you know, as long as you're in a healthy company culture, like that's, you're helping people and you're helping them and you're helping numbers, hopefully revenue. Like it, it's going to be hard not to be liked. Yeah. I think it comes down to three things. Make the right company choice, make it easy for people to help you and show impact and results. Yep, exactly. Jared, I want to be conscious of your time, uh, but I want to finish with one or two questions a bit outside of the enterprise SEO world uh, and the career trajectory world. The first thing that I'm very curious about, what is one trend in your space that's going on right now that gets you excited? Um, that gets me excited. I'm like pretty excited about um, using using like a data sources that you wouldn't typically think about or that are not like standard what you have in Google Analytics to like make better experiences or better decisions, more so on the experience side. So like right now, I'm still trying to prove it, prove it business impact of it, but really like personalization 
using account like <clears throat> using data out of your Salesforce to know what stage an account is in, and then personalizing your headline to convert that person um, is an example. Or using like I love sources like Clearbit is one. Um, I'm still early on with them, trying to really get a, a, a true ROI proven. Like if we do that, if we pay for this, we'll get this much back. Um, but taking like industry lookup data, like if you, you know, visit our site, I should be able to see that you're from G2. And I'd say, you know, change the headline to say like, look, see how Qualtrics can help G2 improve the experience. And, um, hopefully that converts you better. Like it sounds cool. We're still trying to prove about the ROI of it, but at least as a, as a cool experience. Um, so that's like being smarter with the marketing and, and getting data from sources that you, you know, past the UTM parameter basically, and, and like being a little bit smarter and more complex and sophisticated than that um, is one of the things that is exciting for me right now. And then um, just a lot on the conversion and optimization side, I think um, one, of the, one of the, speaking like the first three months making impact, one of the easy, super easy things that I did at Qualtrics when I came in, I just went through like, the top 50 landing pages by traffic and like opened up the page. And I was like, this page doesn't even have a call to action. Enter publish. Hey, what do you know? Our revenue from that page went up next page. Like I have this, like, it's a joke, but I say it so much that my team's probably sick of it is like any buttons better than no button. Like make sure like, it's just so like so many times we were like, should we AB test that? And I was like, no, the page doesn't have a CTA, put a CTA on it. Um, and so like making sure, and that's probably like partially how I ended up being in charge of conversion and optimization at Qualtrics as well. It's like, if you're, if you think your job as an SEO is traffic, you are dead wrong. Your job as SEO is to create revenue, to create revenue. You need, you know, leads or, or if you're e-commerce, you need transactions. And so like work back from that revenue number and eventually traffic is a part of that funnel. But sometimes it's a lot easier to move your conversion rate 20% than it is to your traffic 20%. So like, Search engine optimizers should not think about themselves as like ranking and traffic optimizers. They should think about themselves as revenue from a channel optimizer. And you're responsible for that full funnel, whether you think you are or not. Well, you just gave me the punchline and the end of, of the conversation <laughs> right there. There's <laughs> nothing that we can follow this up with, except for uh, a huge thank you, of course, uh, for sharing all this with, uh, wisdom with, with me and the audience that was uh, just a treasure trove of, of lessons and gold. Um, but I, I don't want to end the conversation before asking you, where can people find and follow you? Yeah. I mean, I would say I'm, uh, although we actually, we did meet on Twitter and I think we, we had a conversation and then we said, Hey, do you want to, you know, talk shop? Cause we were both in the B2B SaaS, but yeah. I, I actually, I, I, I'm on Twitter a lot. I don't, I don't talk on Twitter a lot. I don't post a lot, but I do like, I read a lot on Twitter. So um, yeah, I'm not like, I don't, I haven't invested in the personal brand that much. And so, uh, you can find me on Twitter, LinkedIn. That's, that's really it, man. I'm just, uh, I, I, outside of those things, I speak at maybe one or two conferences a year, maybe write one or two articles a year, usually just focusing on the work. But, um, if you, if you tweet at me, I, I'll, I'll definitely respond. That's the easy way to get me. Uh, my handle is at dig gardener. And all of these will of course, be in the show notes, including the article on conversion Excel that's going to be published next week. Jared, again, it's been a pleasure. Uh, hope to have you on for a second time in the future. Um, and thank you. Yeah, man, I appreciate it. Thanks. Thanks for having me on. Uh, thanks for the friendship. And it's always a good conversation, man. Cool. And that's it, man. That's our interview. Uh, 